Good morning. My name's Adam Martin. I'm part of the teaching team here at Seacoast. So glad you guys have joined us. I want to also welcome those of you who may be joining us from another campus or maybe online. Uh, hopefully your walk into church this morning was a little more dry than it was for these folks because they got soaked. But you guys look good. Somehow you maintain the hairdos, so that's good. Way to go. Hey, um, we've been in a series for the past couple of weeks called How to Be Rich. And in week one, Pastor Greg showed us that in so many ways, we are all rich, that God has provided all that we need and we are rich. And then in week two, Pastor Greg showed us that even while we are rich already, we can't trust in those riches. Instead, we have to trust in the God who richly provides for us. And so as we continue with how to be rich, I just had this thought that, you know, as, as you start talking about money, things can get uncomfortable. People can get uncomfortable quickly when the conversa conversation turns to money, unless you're a kid. If you're a kid, you'll say anything about money. You're totally uninhibited in talking about money. And I have a friend who's, you, you've got to be careful what you say to them because it can, it, it'll probably be repeated in context that you didn't intend for it to be repeated in. This friend of mine, uh, he was in the car with his son, six-year-old son, asked him this question. As a doctor, how much money did he make? Now, let's be honest. You all want to know, don't you? You go to the doctor and you're wondering, how much money does this guy make? Now, he didn't think about what his son might do with that information. Instead, he just answered the question. He said, I make about $200,000 a year. Each year, that's what I make. And his son said, how many zeros is that? And so he told him, that's five zeros. That was the end of the conversation. Now, I don't know if that's good or bad for a doctor. I can tell you for a pastor, that would be great. That's just not where we are. <laughs> but he told him that's about five zeros. That was the end of it, and they moved on. It was about uh, three or four weeks later, they were at their son's school, he and his wife. They had been invited to a class party. All the parents were invited to attend. And so as they're driving up to the school, they noticed all these signs out about that was promoting the capital campaign for the, church, for the school to build a new building. And so uh, they made their way into the building, and as they did, they noticed the faculty and staff were extraordinarily nice to them. <laughs> they didn't think anything about it. They kept just moving towards their son's classroom. As they got closer to the classroom, they noticed all the teachers just continued to seem to be coming out of their way to meet him and his wife. So they got into the classroom, and they noticed immediately that all of the kids' artwork was proudly displayed on the wall. And there was one little section that said, together, little gifts become big. And apparently the assignment was this, that each kid was supposed to draw a picture of what little gift they could give that would help the school. So their son, they saw all of the pictures, then they noticed their sons. And what he had drawn was this. He drew a picture of himself with his mom and his dad walking to the school and his dad had his arms stretched out to the school and in his hands was the family piggy bank. No big deal, I mean, just, you know, kind thought, but on the side of the piggy bank in big black letters, it said dollar sign two and five zeros. <laughs> so he was Mr. 200,000. So if, of course they were excited about seeing him. I mean, if you were in the middle of a capital campaign, this is the guy you want to show up, right? But this is the kind of stuff that makes us naturally cautious and even a little bit private about money. It's what makes that conversation tricky. Now, this morning, as we look at how to be rich, 
I want to tell you just a few stories, but before I do, I need some participation, and I want you at the campuses to do this with me too. By show of hands, don't lie, we've seen two services already where people have lied to me. By show of hands, how many of you plan to participate in Black Friday shopping next week? Come on. I still feel like you're lying. I mean, seriously. You know the percentages of people who shop, and there's like 12 of you raising your hand right now. That's not possible. Now, I, I'll be honest, I have made some bad decisions in my life, but agreeing to go shopping with my wife and her sister on Black Friday was among the worst. I see some men shaking their heads like, I feel you, brother, I feel you. Now, I, my job was going to be to push the stroller with our two-year-old son, Matthew, and carry the bags. Sounds simple enough, right? But I was naive. I had no idea what I was getting into. So for the better part of eight or nine hours, we walked and we walked and we walked and then we ate mall food. And then you know what we did after that? We walked some more. And we were upstairs in this mall in Greenville and Matthew and I were done. I mean, we were totally exhausted. We're kind of in the hallway area and my wife and sister are over here looking in a store not far from us. And I, I glanced in this direction and I noticed another guy who was also very done with his day. He, I knew this because he was sitting on the floor of the mall, leaning against the wall. And I, I have an idea of what happened to this man. I think he probably came shopping with his wife and her sister and he was holding them up. So they left him there to die. It, it was like a scene out of Saving Private Ryan. I mean, he, he was a little bit of drool coming out of his mouth. I was expecting medics to come rushing up, throw him on a stroller and carry him away. Now, Matthew in the stroller, he... I said stroller, didn't I? I meant stretcher. <laughs> Matthew was in his stroller and noticed this guy too. So he started to squirm around and I reached down and unbuckled him. So he kind of climbed out of his stroller, grabbed his pacifier, you know, just the necessities, and starts walking towards the man, just kind of waddling over towards him, just inch at a time. And I, I will admit it, I agree, a better parent would have stopped this. Clearly the man wanted nothing to do with anybody at that point. But I was tired, and I kind of wanted to see how this would play out. <laughs> so he's inching over towards the man, and he gets right up next to him, and the man is sitting on the floor, leaning against the wall. His feet are kind of spread out in a V pattern. And then Matthew does this. He steps over his leg. He's now standing between the man's legs. No joke, this happened, I promise. 15 years ago, nearly to the day. And he's looking face to face with the man because he's only about this tall. Got his pacifier in his mouth. No words were exchanged. He then turns around, faces his back to the man, and sits down between his legs. <laughs> and he leans back against his belly. <laughs> then he takes his hands, he folds them behind his head, and just does this and kind of looks up at the man. Now, the man, without changing the expression on his face, looks over at me, and then he looks back down at Matthew, and then he says this, little buddy... I know just how you feel. <laughs> I'm serious that happened. You can ask my wife, her sister. There's all kinds of people who can verify the story. But what I learned was this. 
Sometimes you can focus too narrowly on something and miss the bigger picture. I looked at the man and I saw a fallen soldier left there to die. (laughs) Matthew looked at the man and saw a fallen soldier who looked like he'd make a comfortable recliner. (laughs) So he reclined. He took advantage of it. Now, as as we've uh, been in this series, How to Be Rich... We've been looking at a passage of Scripture, and today we're going to look at the next verse. It's got two parts. The first part stands out pretty clearly to us. The second one can be a little easier to miss. And so we're going to look at the big picture today and see all of it. So here's what it says. It's in 1 Timothy 6. It says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, ironically, the part that stands out to us is not the first part, but the second part. Because you know what people's number one complaint about church still is? They just want my money. And so we hear that generosity piece and immediately our antennas go up and we go, oh, here it comes. I told you they just wanted my money. But remember, that's only part of the verse. It says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. If we want to talk about what it looks like to be rich in the context of what's written in this verse, then we have to acknowledge that being rich is about more than money. In fact, I think the way that the verse is ordered here is really important because first it tells us we have to be rich in good deeds. Only after that does it mention anything about generosity. Now, What are the good deeds we're supposed to be rich in? Have you ever thought about that? You ever wondered what that is? Paul, who wrote this verse in Timothy, tells us in another place in Scripture, he gives us the answer. It says this, We were dead in our rebellion against God. All of us lived however we wanted. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in sin. It is by grace that you have been saved. God raised us to new life in order that he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us through Jesus Christ. So we have here this picture of how God loves us. And through Jesus, we can see that in so many ways, he's very rich in mercy and in kindness to us. Those are the good deeds that we're supposed to be rich in. Now, let's look at them just one at a time for a minute. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be rich in kindness? What's that mean? If you look at the New Testament, where we see Jesus in interaction with others, we can see that in tons of ways, he was very, very kind. He was kind to all types of people. But here's the thing, he was kind to the wrong people, (laughs) Jesus was kind to thieves and prostitutes and tax collectors and outcasts. He was kind to the kind of people that others believed didn't deserve kindness. And that brings us to another story. There was a woman who came searching for Jesus one time. It's found in the book of Luke. But it wasn't just any woman. This was a sinful woman. That's what the text tells us, which in that time, what it probably meant was that the woman was either a prostitute or she was an adulteress, either presently or at some point in her life. That's probably what it means. And so we have here this sinful woman who has come in search of Jesus. 
And as she came, she knelt down behind him. He'd been invited to the home of a religious leader. He'd accepted the invitation. He's in this home. She comes, kneels down behind him, comes with a jar of perfume, opens it up, pours it out all over his feet just to honor him. And she was so overwhelmed by who Jesus was that she began to weep. Tears fell all over his feet. Then she took her hair and she started to wipe the tears off of Jesus' feet. So we have this sinful woman who's come in uninvited and is now touching the feet of the Son of God. And the religious leader didn't know what to do with this. He said in the text, if this man was really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, one thing to know about this culture is that a man in the position of this religious leader, any position of authority, they would never have even spoken to this woman. They wouldn't have even acknowledged the woman unless her husband was present, which is what makes this so remarkable. Because here's Jesus looking right at the woman, and then he said these words. He's not only paying attention to her, he's about to speak to her, and he says this, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Here's Jesus a man in the highest position of authority, speaking directly to a sinful woman. Just by addressing her, he was saying this, I see you. When everyone else is looking past you and around you and away from you, I see you and I'm glad you came. That's what it looks like to be rich in kindness to somebody. But Jesus is not only rich in kindness to us, he's also rich in mercy. It was kind to honor the woman with his attention and his response. But Jesus took it way past that kindness when he said, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. You see, the religious leader was not wrong when he called the woman sinful. She was. She was. She needed forgiveness. And she didn't deserve it. But Jesus showed her mercy anyway. He looked at her and he said, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. What he was telling the woman is, I want you to trade the chaos of life without God, without me, for the peace of life with me. Paul gives us a really beautiful picture of what this looks like in another place in scripture. He says it like this. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his spirit upon us so that through and I messed that up, poured out his spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. If we want to be rich in good deeds, then we have to learn what it looks like to be rich in kindness and in mercy, because that's how he was rich to us. Now, what do you think happens? What's the result of becoming rich in good deeds. 
Here we're about to walk into the holiday season. We're about to go into Thanksgiving, and then thereafter Christmas. We're about to see all kinds of family. Some of them you'll want to see, and some of them you won't want to see. But what would it look like? How would it be different if you were rich in good deeds, rich in kindness, rich in mercy this holiday season? I think there are three things, three things that might happen. The first is this. Being rich in good deeds will bring us joy. Being rich in good deeds will bring us joy. David says it like this. I rejoice in following your ways as one who rejoices in great riches. Doing the things God asks us to do brings us joy. It's weird how that happens, but it does. Several years ago, there was a group of men uh, who, here in Mount Pleasant, they decided, hey, why don't we cook a few extra turkeys and a few extra side items for Thanksgiving? We'll give it away to people in the community who would otherwise have a tough time coming up with a Thanksgiving meal. And so they did. And they did it again the next year, and the next year, and the year after that. And several years later, last year, this group of men uh, in the men's ministry here at Seacoast had evolved to more than 200 guys. And now a bunch of families who cooked more than 250 turkeys last year, 300 pounds of corn, 300 pounds of potatoes. And they took it out into the community and gave it to people who would otherwise not have had a Thanksgiving meal. Next week, that same group of guys and families now plans to cook more than 325 turkeys, over 400 pounds of corn, and 1,000 pounds of potatoes. They're not really interested in the Atkins plan at all, (laughs) but they do want to feed some people. Now let me ask you this question. Who gets the greater blessing? Is it the people who receive the food? Is that who it's going to be? Or or will it be the men and the families who who invest their time, their energy, even their money into making this happen? I I think the answer is pretty obvious. It's the same reason they'll get to get back together a few weeks after Thanksgiving and talk about how they can make it even bigger. Those men will feed on the blessing of doing something kind for weeks and months to come. It will absolutely fire them up. Have you ever noticed that the riches that flow from us are always a greater blessing to us than the riches we hold on to? Have you ever noticed that? It's because being rich in good deeds brings us joy. Here's the second thing that can happen. Being rich in good deeds helps others to see God. Being rich in good deeds helps others see God. We can see this in the story of the woman. That even though she didn't deserve mercy, Jesus showed it to her anyway and said, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. I'll bet because of that, she walked away with a far clearer picture of how much God loves her. It's because being rich in good deeds helps other people see God. Here's the third thing that I think can happen. Being rich in good deeds leads us towards generosity. It leads us towards generosity. We can see it in the verse that we read. 
The first part of it says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous stuff we'd done, but because of his mercy. After that, it says, he generously poured out his spirit upon us. You see, first came God's kindness and mercy to us. Only thereafter did it talk about the generosity of pouring out his presence in our lives. I recently uh, ran into an article about a husband and wife in Salem, Oregon, who found a strange gift in a box of cereal. Now, how many of you have ever found a strange gift in a box of cereal? Show of hands. Anybody? How many of you have ever intentionally eaten to the bottom of a box of cereal for the prize or the strange gift? Y'all are not telling the truth this morning. I can't be the only one. Now, here I have a box of Lucky Charms. How many of you would eat to the bottom of a box of Lucky Charms just for the prize? All the kids' hands go up. Few of the dads. I'll eat to the bottom of a box of Lucky Charms even if there's no prize. I'll tell you that now. They're magically delicious. You can't say no to that. Now, this, the, the article goes like this. Tammy Tompkins had just returned from a trip to the grocery store, gathering things to make some Christmas goodies for her grandchildren, when she realized there was a special gift in the bottom of the box of cornflakes she had purchased. A $100 bill with the name Benny signed on the back of it. It just made my day, Tammy said. I cried happy tears for about an hour and a half. Tammy and her husband, Robert, could use the money. They've been through some tough times since Robert suffered a stroke four years ago. He's battled pneumonia more than 100 times. And since the stroke, they've struggled to keep up with medical bills. In May this year, an anonymous person in their community donated $900 to local Cub Scouts by folding up bills and nonchalantly putting them on the table where the scouts were selling popcorn. People in the local community have no idea as to the, the identity of this cereal giver. You, you know that's like cereal with the S, not the... Okay, you get it. I didn't write the article, okay? Give me a break. In any case, it appears that they are at it again, anonymously donating money to people in their community. When asked how she planned to use the money, Tammy said she wanted to pay off some medical bills. But her husband, Robert, had a different idea. He insisted that she get her wedding ring out of hock from a local pawn shop. I get the feeling it wasn't the first time they'd pawned it. But maybe with serial giver Benny lurking in the community, it'll be the last. There are beautiful pictures of generosity all around us, even in a box of cornflakes sometimes. Because being rich in good deeds will lead us towards generosity. Let me close with this. Dana and I have been married for about uh, just a little over 20 years. And I, I would love to tell you that in that time, we've always been really generous. We've always tithed on everything we've ever earned. But I, I, that just wouldn't be true. And so uh, to be fair to her, she's probably been there all along. But I had to learn to be generous. I had to learn that while generosity is connected to kindness, it's absolutely stuck without courage. It's stuck without courage. I had to learn 
to trust that not only God could, that not only could God take care of my needs, but that he would take care of my needs. You see, that's a big difference. A lot of us would acknowledge, yes, God has the ability to do it, but we don't fully have the confidence that he will. That's the ga- that was the gap for me. I had to learn that he would take care of my needs. As I learned more and more, as I saw a more and more vivid picture of God's kindness to me in my life, I noticed something happened. My fear of not having enough decreased and my courage increased. And I got to that place where his kindness gave me the courage to trust that he would continue to take care of me. About six months ago, uh, Dana and I were, we were having some problems with our dryer, and uh, we noticed that uh, the, the clothes just weren't getting dry. We'd run the cycle the way we were supposed to. I even looked at the manual. I am that much of a nerd. And, and it, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. It's just the dryer wasn't getting the clothes dry. It wasn't designed. It wasn't doing what it was designed to do. So I, I took it apart a little bit, looked at the hose on the back of it, looked up in the dryer with a flashlight, couldn't figure out what was wrong. It all looked fine. So we called a professional to come out and take a look at it. They wanted to look at the duct that ran from the wall to the outside of the house. And what they found was that that duct was entirely blocked by lint. They said it was so bad, in fact, they were surprised we hadn't had a fire. So I felt like, you know, Captain Homeowner now, feeling really confident about myself that I'd, left, I'd let the duct get to that point. We'd only lived in the house a couple of years, but still. So he said it was, it was bad enough that he needed to let it dry out, and he would come back a couple of days later to, to fix it. So he did, came back. He pulled out, he called me when he was done. He said, we've, we've got the problem. We've pulled out a big bag of wet lint from the dryer duct, and we put it on your kitchen table. I was like, first, thank you, and second, gross, why would you do that? Why would you leave that on the kitchen table? But here's the thing, we dried a load of clothes that night. Actually, we had a picture of the dryer lint. I didn't even, yeah, there you go. Did I show you that yet, or did it pop up there? So yeah, you can't tell, but that, that's about that big around. This is the size of a platter. It was pretty disgusting. So that you wake you know, happy Thanksgiving, put that on your table. <laughs> so that was the problem. But they got it pulled out, and, and we noticed that we dried a load of clothes. It worked perfectly. In fact, it only took about half the time. You see, once we got that duct unclogged, the air was free to flow out. And here's the point. Most of us really want to be generous. I think we do. I don't think anybody intends to go through life being really selfish and stingy. We want to be generous, but we're afraid. Fear, a lack of courage, kind of has us blocked, clogged up. But as we see more and more of the kindness of God, that fear will fall and the courage will rise And all of a sudden, the generosity is free to flow out the way it was designed to. Let me leave you with just one uh, final thought. Being rich has always been about more than money. It really has. We hear the word rich, we immediately think money, but being rich has always been about more than money. In fact, even being generous is about more than money. 
You've, you may have heard it said that God doesn't want generosity from you. He wants generosity for you. I've heard that a number of times, and I thought, oh, that's catchy. That works. But what's that really mean? You know, I, I, I had to kind of pick it apart in my head, and then I realized something, that as we're willing to sacrifice what we treasure, we're more able to understand the measure of mercy and kindness that it took for God to sacrifice the son he treasures. As we're willing to sacrifice what we treasure, we get a better picture of the mercy and kindness it took for God to sacrifice the son that he treasures. That's what generosity is about. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. Grateful for the ways that you love us. Countless ways. We probably only ever see a small fraction of them. Thankful, Father, that uh, you are so merciful and so kind to us. Even uh, when we, like the woman, don't deserve it. Yet your mercy flows free, your kindness flows free. And we pray now that as we see a bigger picture of that kindness, that we would become people who are merciful and kind to others. That we would let it lead us towards loving them the way you love them. Even if it leads us to being generous. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.